This is everything you want to know about non-clinical careers for physicians. For Third Evolution, I'm your host, Robert Pretty. Today's podcast is a compilation of my recent conversations with physicians. There's always a certain amount of confusion when it comes to the actual implementation part of a career change strategy. So I want to talk to you today about some very critical key issues and opportunities I expect you to encounter. First, your stump speech, or your elevator pitch, or your value proposition. I'm constantly asking and advising those physicians I work with to not only develop, but really to actively use their stump speeches. So you can call it whatever you like, but all those are the same thing. Let me tell you why I prefer the term stump speech. It's really quite simple, but I believe it goes to setting the right tone and expectation for what you want to accomplish. I like to use stump speech because I liken your career transition activity to a political campaign. I can speak to a variety of analogies between changing a career and running for office, but my most constant analogous example is continuity, staying on message, being consistent, as in don't be a flip-flopper. To me, elevator pitch conveys a little too salesy a perspective, somewhat akin to you have to buy this now. And value proposition, well, it is really very descriptive, but what I find is most people simply don't fully understand the meaning. I think it's very apropos, but it requires too much explanation outside the marketing thought world. So stump speech it is. And I can never stress enough the importance of having a good stump speech outline and then learning. And learning is the key word here. Learning the flexibility to fill in those outline blanks appropriately. Those of you who are frequent listeners or visitors to my web, or perhaps you bought my book, The Physician's Guide to Non-Clinical Careers. It's available on Amazon for the bargain price of $34.99. Sorry, but I had to plug myself. But again, if you're familiar with the process I use, you know my basic stump speech outline. It is who I am, what I've done, what I want to do, how I can help you, how you can help me, and why I'm leaving clinical practice. This version of a stump speech outline is actually two separate stump speeches coupled with a qualifier. The qualifier is the why I'm leaving clinical practice. It's there simply because you will be asked that question and having the right answer is very helpful. Now, when I say two separate stump speeches, they are the interview stump speech and the networking stump speech. The interview stump speech is who I am, what I've done, what I want to do, and how I can help you. The networking stump speech is who I am, what I've done, what I want to do, and how you can help me. In practice, I'm sure you'll find some overlap, particularly in networking situations. There, you should expect an interested listener to ask you how you will help those in your new job. So how I can help you will likely become a part of the larger conversation if there's mutual interest. And again, also expect at some point to be asked, why are you leaving clinical practice? Now, a couple of finer points about your stump speech. First, length. Each of these two applications should be about 90 total words in length. That equals about 30 seconds. Whoa, some of you are saying, 
I'm supposed to summarize my entire background, my objectives in 30 seconds? No, no, you're not. This is a stump speech, not an autobiography. This is an introduction. Its purpose is to find out if you're talking to the right person, and if so, to place some parameters or some expectations for the conversation. While your stump speech is not your conversation, you should find that you are adhering to it categorically if the conversation develops and expands. But your stump speech is a cogent synopsis. Second, content. What I said at the beginning about learning to use your stump speech, what I said was that you must learn the flexibility to fill in those outline blanks or headings appropriately. In other words, once you've learned the scope and variability with which you can employ your stump speech, you'll find it a reliably successful way of answering the proverbial question of, tell me about yourself. And third, let's talk about that heading, why I'm leaving clinical practice. First, let me tell you why you're not leaving clinical practice. Often when I share this outline initially with clients, they will wait to see how I fill in the who I am, the what I've done, the what I want to do and how I can help you and, and how you can help me categories. But when we arrive at why I'm leaving clinical practice, they often want to take over and explain in detail the frustrations with insurance clerks, the hassles with ICD-10, the ridiculousness of computer systems, and myriad other issues. One of my favorites was the client who offered that he was leaving practice because of LSPs. I remember frowning and asking myself, what does LSP stand for? So I asked, life-sucking patients, he exclaimed. I suggested we not use that reasoning. Actually, I've used and tested the same reason, so to speak, for many years. It's simple, direct, altruistic and requires literally no explanation. And frankly, that's exactly how you want to end that question. Quick, easy, and positive. Here's why you're leaving clinical practice. Medical practice, regardless of what you do or how you do it, will always be treating one patient at a time. With my new objectives, I see the opportunity to help or influence hundreds, if not thousands, of people, and that seems very rewarding. There's your answer. Now, one final point to stump speech use. In any conversation, you want to talk about 20% at a time and listen about 80%. So with your stump speech, either at the conclusion of what I've done or no further than what I want to do, turn the conversation to the other person. Say, but tell me about you. What do you do, your company, your responsibilities? Something to prompt them talking. Because if they're talking, you're learning, and you're plumbing your reservoir of accomplishments, your definitions of what you want to do and how you can help them and how they can help you to present yourself as someone who can help them or help others they know. That then will become a successful conversation, whether you're networking or interviewing. I'll tell you a brief story about the value of a good stump speech. My wife often says this about me, that I'll never join a club or a group or an organization that I don't run. Well, that's true, or at least running it is my objective. I don't take orders or direction well. I've been called to jury duty about three times over the past few years, and unlike most people, I find jury duty interesting. I find observing how our legal system works interesting. 
So while it's not something I seek out, I certainly don't shy away from the responsibility. Plus, I have a career where serving on a jury is quite manageable. Over the past several years, I've been part of one of the longest murder trials in my county's history. I've sat on juries overseeing personal injury issues as well as property disputes. In the jury process, once selected, the jury is then sequestered to organize itself. That is usually some discussion of what has been initially presented, the very high-level information that categorizes the trial and our purpose, and then the first order of business of the jury is selecting a foreperson. It's a process like most initial gatherings of people. Someone says, why don't we go around the room and introduce ourselves? And from boardrooms to barrooms, the process is always the same. Some people digress into their childhoods. Some want to share their experiences similar to either the defendant or the accused. Some begin with something to indicate their wealth or their prominence or even their disdain for being there. I, however, I have my stump speech. It's this. I'm an independent consultant and longtime healthcare executive with a varied background in business and management, both domestically and internationally. And I see our responsibility here as I have on previous juries, to listen and to understand the two sides of this case and to work well together to come to a fair, just, and legal finding. And I'm looking forward to getting to know and learn about each of you and the unique perspectives you bring to this responsibility. And without exception, I'm the foreperson. In 79 words, I laid out my background, who I am, and what I've done, both professionally and with previous jury experience, what I want to do vis-a-vis -vis our responsibilities, and how I can help them by working well together to bring the group to an appropriate and unified conclusion. Note, this is not my stump speech if you and I met at some meeting or conference, but it is very much a stump speech in organization, presentation, and result. And it may not be the stump speech in any other type of situation, but once you understand the structure and appreciate how the structure pushes you to present specific thoughts relevant to your current situation, you can have a stump speech for any situation. Can you do that? I'm betting you can. Next on my topic list from recent conversations is how do I network today? Networking is not dead. It's just a bit more, well, remote, you might say. So consider networking as moving from social hours at conferences and seminars to phone calls, text messages, blog chats, social media postings, and other opportunities to connect with people. And if you put this type of networking in the same context as those social or networking events, they are really more similar than different. Not physically pressing the flesh nor dealing with those awkward moments when you find yourself standing alone on the conference floor or trying to figure out how to end a conversation with a salesperson who just won't take the rejection hint. Well, those are just about the only real differences. So let's begin at about the most passive way to start a digital connection. Social media. Whether LinkedIn or Facebook, Twitter, WeChat, whatever platform you like to use, just find an interesting article you read and upload it to your preferred platform. Then watch what happens. Likes, thumbs up, smiley faces, frowns, every reaction becomes an opportunity to engage further. First, it might be responding to an emoji. Then a question. What did you think of some specific comment or reference or recommendation? Exchange a few instant messages, then ask about a conversation offline. You'd like to know more about that person's thinking. They seem to have some interesting perspective. 
It's the same on blogs. You can either post a new piece of material on a blog to which you have posting rights, or easier yet, you can just comment on what someone else has written. Look for feedback. On many blogs and social media, you can tweak the settings to notify you of any responses to your comments or postings, and be responsive. You probably can't be too fast to respond, but you can certainly be too slow. Online times moves faster. Most article responses occur immediately or almost immediately. When I track podcast episodes, the download graph is usually a downward slope over time. Most of my downloads occur within the first 30 days or fewer, and seldom do I receive a comment about a podcast more than a month after initial posting. One key rule to drive interaction for both blogging and social media is never be negative. I don't care how foolish someone's posting may be, never tell them that. Unlike face-to-face, digitally you can just walk away and ignore participants. I blog on a couple of news sites where instead of engaging the crazies, I just block them. You don't want to be blocked. My consistent advice is this, no matter your level of disagreement, if you begin your response with something along the lines of, I find your comments quite thought-provoking. Have you ever considered this perspective? And then, without disagreeing, simply present your own comments. I've done this on LinkedIn, for example, presenting comments that completely contradicted what the original poster wrote, only to have a note of thanks for my comments and a smiley face, (laughs) all simply because I never criticized. I only presented something further, something in addition. Also, don't disregard direct context. That is, use your telephone. If you read an interesting publication that names a source, call that source. Whether that person is an author, a subject, or a fact contributor, beginning an introduction by saying, I just read your, well, I just read about you, I just read your perspective, well, most of us respond well to people who seem to find us interesting, and even more so when the interest is founded with some flattery. Beyond these typical and possibly obvious tactics, take a look at my podcast called The Research Interview. If you want to ramp up your networking to a highly actionable level, this is a great, proven, and effective way to do just that. It will put you in the room, literally or virtually, with the people you actually want to be working with or working for. Also, answer your phone. I say this with an exclamation point. Being accessible and available are paramount right now. But overall, the bottom line is this. Communicate, communicate, communicate. Socially distanced is just that, and out of sight can quickly become out of mind. Stay in mind with the extensive set of digital and traditional tools at hand. Last on my list today is what to do about face-to-face interactions. I just had this conversation yesterday. These meetings can still exist. What I would consider the typical non-clinical career transition venue has simply changed. Most of you who know me know that I put a high premium on attending conferences and seminars to advance career-focused networking. It goes back to my mantra of getting into the same room with the people you want to work with and work for. But with conferences waning, think about conferences. Where are they most generally held? Florida, Arizona, Chicago, San Francisco, Las Vegas, New York City, all the hotspots. I just did an online search and saw what few conferences are scheduled for in-person meetings are also offering a virtual ticket as well. Part of what this means is that many company sales staffs are not doing much. I know. 
I used to manage conference setups and attendance during my corporate years. It's a lot of work that takes months of planning. So now, many companies have sales and marketing staffs looking for something to do. Now, what I'm going to say next applies mostly to organizations within the healthcare or medical industries. However, if this is your target, then it does represent a real opportunity. Now's the time to reach out to these companies and tell them you're interested in learning more about their product or products. Ask if you could visit their offices. They probably don't have many visitors today, and from researchers to executive staff, their meetings are probably mostly internal. So, to show a guest around from outside may be a great break from their routine. Think of your objective in this progression, and I say this from experience. First, who is your contact? You may have a detail person or MSL you interact with. That's a good start. If you don't, these are usually the easiest people to find and the easiest people to speak with. So try beginning there. Second, know what you want. Are you wanting to work for this company in a specific department? Do you see yourself with a certain set of functional skills that will help the company? How? Make your answer to those questions yes. If you don't, don't waste your time or theirs. Know what you want and know what you can offer. This is not a fishing expedition. Then, Couch your visit in getting to know the people as well as the products better and tell your contact you're interested in meeting people with specific responsibilities, those functional responsibilities you see as your strength. When you go, use your stump speech. Have a business card. You may even want to have a special business card printed that doesn't downplay your clinical position, but add to it with three keywords on the back that define your functional areas that you see as your strength. Your objective is to create a positive impression. You're networking. You're cautiously offering your comments. You're creating a foundation for future, for ongoing conversations. Make sure that other than your contact, you have at least one person with whom to follow up and follow up for something to do with your areas of functional strength. The strategy of networking is to elevate and expand contacts. Look for opportunities to provide them with something of value something that helps their projects or their responsibilities. You want to become valuable. This may take several months, but it can certainly pay off. So three takeaways for today. One, learn how to use and create appropriate stump speeches. A good stump speech will make all your career work easier. When I work with a client, their stump speech spills over into virtually every communications they have. Two, use digital networking liberally and aggressively. You'll be the one talking and making contacts when others are sitting in their offices wondering when life returns to normal. And three, don't count out face-to-face meetings. If your career transition focuses on the health and medical worlds, you can still manage meetings that are better than trying to buttonhole someone at a conference. You can be an invited special guest. Just understand this is step one in a process and keep your process moving. I hope you find this advice helpful. And please keep asking me questions. Answering your questions will provide you with the best information to help me help you be successful in your transition to a new and rewarding non-clinical career. Once again, for Third Evolution, Non-Clinical Careers for Physicians, this is Robert Pretty. For comments about this or any podcast, don't hesitate to contact me at 720-339-3585. That's for voice, message, or text. And don't forget to visit me online at thirdevo.com. Until next time, thank you for listening.